Hey guys, my name is Katie Brooks and I hope you're ready for another episode of Think Bigger Grow Wealthy Podcast. I love real estate, I love economics, I love financing, and that's exactly what you're going to get. Stay tuned and let's go. Hey guys, welcome back to the Think Bigger Grow Wealthy Podcast. My name is Katie Brooks and I'm here with my husband, Michael Brooks. Yes, I'm here today and we're going to be talking about my wife's book. Lots of credit to her. She worked very hard on this. It's called The Fundamentals of Financing, How to Leverage Ethics, Economics, and Personal Accountability to Achieve Multifamily Real Estate Success. Yes. All right. And I know, you know, it took a great deal of time, just lots of sleepless nights, a lot of editing, a lot of work went into this book. You know, what was your what was your main reasoning that you wanted to write this book? Lena? You know, what what made you decide that you needed to come up with this? Well, first and foremost, I appreciate you and everything that you did to allow me to be able to write the book. There was a lot of, uh, I saw a lot of frustration in your face dealing with the kids <laughs> on those long nights and having to make dinner, get the kids clean, clean up the house and like really let me jam out this book for five months straight of just going at it. Yeah, it probably would have taken a lot longer. It would have taken a lot longer. And so, you know, I'm so grateful to my husband and he is amazing for that. And again, so... This is just going to be really candid. It's not going to be overly like interview style because like obviously my husband was also very influential on this book. So we really just want to kind of go over. Um, there's 10 chapters in the books, you know, about 200 pages. And we really just want to go over each chapter as kind of a talking point so that you guys can get a feel for what this book is about and kind of what we were envisioning. So let's get started, babe. Yeah. So the overall concept of the book, you know, just from the, like the title and you know, everything that was in the subtitle here. What is this book good for and who is this book kind of targeted to? This book is targeted definitely for beginning investors, people that are first wanting to get started, people that are kind of trying to figure out the why in investing. So a lot of people mm -hmm. see real estate, especially in on Instagram, on YouTube, it's very flashy. We started our journey from a seminar. My husband kept hearing a seminar over and over and over on the radio and he was just like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go and see see what this is about. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, there's a lot of people that get some type of exposure into real estate, but they really don't know its meanings except for this makes me a lot of money. So I really wanted to write this book as a well-rounded view of real estate and why you need real estate, why you need assets, why you need to own resources and control the access to resources like real estate in order to have financial and economic stability in this country and just in general. So yeah, that's kind of why we kind of sat down. We're like, this is what beginning investors need to kind of get their, their mind frame in the right place. Yeah, and I, and I definitely see that a lot with people they, when you talk about mindset and they go, you know, well, what is mindset and how do you quantify that? And it's a real difficult thing to quantify, but I can tell you for sure this book definitely does have a lot of not only just practical things, but for us, you know, God was a huge influence in our life, still is to this day helps guide us and so we put in a lot of well you put in a lot of mm -hmm. you know good spiritual messages and yes. um you know verses that 
really show you know the the alignment between you know positivity in your life positivity and you know the amount of cash that you're able to bring in you know wealth and how those things are applied i wanted to ask you about what was the most difficult thing that you felt in writing this book like what was the what was the hardest thing to kind of convey to the audience the thing i had the hardest time trying to convey was just not making it political um, we see a lot of that in our world today mm-hmm. and i didn't want a book that that highlighted the polarization of our political realm today but when it comes to eth- you know economics when it comes to ethics when it comes to real estate and how it is so intertwined in the housing market and the and, and the ways of the housing market and what it's doing can literally change our whole economic situation (laughs) like we base a lot of economics around the housing market and real estate that's just you can't get away from how you know it has some sort of political play so i tried to make sure that all of my points that i made if they come off sort of political that it's very neutral and it's bipartisan and that it stuck to the facts of just focused on on, on real estates focused on the uh, on the economic side of it things that can be proven in economics things that people can see that relate to economics and that wasn't too political that was my biggest thing yeah for sure you know and that's something too because this is a book that I would feel you had mentioned is you know good for the beginner but you want it to be something that's that transverses you know people's politics because right you know five ten years now who knows what political landscapes and things look like Mm -hmm. definitely big changes over the last five ten years have been from you know where we are now back then and it just feels like everything is changing at you know breakneck pace um i'd also like to say that i think that this book too would also be very helpful for somebody Maybe who's a little seasoned in their investing. Maybe give them some new insight Mm -hmm. on thinking. And then, you know, a lot of what people don't understand and what we go into or what you go into a little depth in the book is about the basic structuring of setting up your multifamily real estate deals. Right. It's not like you would say, like, you know, you're not coming up with 20% down or anything. Because I think that's the... I think that's the mindset that a lot of people have when it comes to multifamily is, oh, I need, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more, to even gain entry into this field. I'm going to need all this money, millions. You guys are buying a $5 million property. You know, we're, do you have $5 million on hand to buy that? Right. No, no. We've even worked with people who thought, hey, Okay, we're going after a $10 million property. Well, I've got this right here. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't have to spend. Yeah, you don't need that much. You don't need, you know, you have $3 million. We won't even need, you know, we'll probably need one of those. And that's saying that we get it right at that 90% loan of value. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's kind of what I wanted to highlight because there's a lot of ways to leverage money from private industry. You know, if you ever heard of like private money loans, hard money loans, as well as HUD. And the biggest thing is HUD. People don't understand the benefits that are there federally for people to get involved with real estate. There's so many grants, there's so many programs, far more than just Section 8 and low-income housing. That's what people think about when they think of HUD when Mm -hmm. it comes to real estate. But there's so many other ways to 
leverage the money that you can get from HUD federal programs and loans that can really have you in the door 100% financed your first property. So that's what I wanted to highlight too in the book. That's like the big thing. Yeah, because I would even challenge, I would say this is definitely a book that somebody who is, you know, maybe even a business owner or seasoned investor, whoever, Mm -hmm. even if you're an older person who was getting into like, well, I'm going into the age of retirement, you know, I I can't be doing these type of things. My life is kind of set in its path. And, you know, that mindset is, I don't think it's the correct type mindset because you can never really stop you can continuously go at any time with real estate and you know if you're older and you have grandkids or children of your own you know what type of legacy you would be setting for them right and we cover over those things in the book you you talked about them what would you say is your most impactful chapter what's something that would grab at the audience the most kind of get them on that hey wow this is This is some deep level right here. I didn't know this. So in chapter two, I talk about purpose, provision, and profit. And I think that that's been the biggest thing that we've been shown by God is that there is, first and foremost, his provision, his ability to put bread on our table, to put clothes on our backs, and for us to be content financially comes from him. And it can never come from the, you know, our own efforts and our own work. So I think that chapter, I really go into, um, I really dive into a lot of Bible verses that are, some are, you know, misinterpreted, some are not, some are just pertaining to finances overall. And literally times in the Bible where God literally says, hey, you are to use your gifts and talents to accumulate wealth, to go out and accumulate money. And it goes to this one verse, whereas he gave three men, he gave one man five talents, the other man two talents, and then he gave one man only one talent, and that one man went and dug into the ground and hid it. Mm-hmm. Because he was just like, oh, wait, I'm just going to hide this. I'm not going to go out and trade this on the market. I'm not going to go out and use this skill to generate money. And, and God was, un- was not pleased with that. And so he's given us gifts. He's given us talents. He's given us purpose and insight into the things that is going to accumulate us wealth, is going to accumulate us the ability to pass down things to our generation, and we have to use it. And when we don't use it and we aren't in our purpose in that way, he is not fully happy with us because we are wasting that potential. So mm-hmm. I think that was what, you know, chapter two that really dives into that, really offers a lot of perspectives and Bible verses about that. Yeah, for sure. Those are really important messages there about taking a personal count of your abilities that you have we all have a talent or ability mm-hmm. and so with real estate it's like an additional tool that you have no matter what you're doing that's the thing that you know i love about real estate is i can have a passion for cooking makeup hair nails whatever the case might be but you can still pursue those passions but along the same line you can also have hey, here we go, here's this real estate thing that you know, sets me up and my family and my generations for the future. Right, and that's what, pe- that's what people need to look at it as. They need to look at it as just a, a way, a tool to use monetarily so that you can further your dreams, further what you want in life. 
but it's again rooted in that necessity for controlling a resource that people are willing to pay you for not just people but the economy is willing to pay you for mm -hmm. and that'll always mean you know you'll maintain financial and economic stability that way mm -hmm. yeah for sure well the two chapters that i like the most were chapter five an ethical battle as it's titled and i also like chapter eight your network is your net worth because i definitely feel like those two tie together mm -hmm. because even though you might have a high network of friends or people that you associate with it's who you associate with yes and their ethical actions just because you know they've got high cash flow and a lot of money with them and they can help advance you you kind of have to gonna go right back to chapter five when you talk about the ethics on that because we've had that in our personal mm -hmm. beginnings like it happened to us right in the beginning yep. where we had people who weren't necessarily acting in the most ethical manner mm -hmm. and we have to make that decision every day to say hey is this deal worth it is making x amount of money worth it extra with working with a certain individual right. or a group of people or an organization yeah. and that was i i'm glad we had that test in the beginning um even though we still wasted a lot of time on it we had that test in the beginning and this was a, de a decision we had to make with someone that was bringing hundreds of thousands of dollars to us in a deal like it was right there and if we were able to you know deal with some of the things that was asked we could have been at a different place a lot faster but it wasn't about that it was about that test that we couldn't compromise our our morals our values and what we wanted and we want to work with people that want to work with us not try to swindle in any way yeah and, <laughs> and i think that comes down to even on your own personal ethics side because a lot of our investment strategies and things that we utilize um, we are utilizing, you know, people that we bring on to help out with investing. That's a perfectly normal strategy. But there, are, there's the ethical lines of, does it make sense for this deal? It's a sweet deal, but is this deal going to be good enough for us, and not only us, but our investor too? Because mm -hmm. we really want to make sure that you take care of that person and act in an ethical manner because that person might know people yep. that's that's again improving your network your you expand your network and thus expand your net worth by having more people saying hey these are trustworthy people mm -hmm. they're not going to do anything to try to mess me over and you know cut me out of deals or anything else like that and there's a lot of definitely in this field a lot of unnecessary cutthroat action mm -hmm. where real estate in this country and in a lot of other countries is vastly untapped to the point where there's millions and millions and millions of acres of land that hasn't even been thought of of being used for real estate and the potential to make that into something is just drastically unestimated yeah for sure and that's and I go into and I provide a few examples of like some corruption that has happened 
corruption on the side of legislative policy as well as corruption from you know people just doing negative things <laughs> illicit things um, bribing county officials county commissioners the people that are approving your federal loans things like that and i provided some examples in the book of that because these are these are situations that anyone can run into someone saying hey you know i'll get this taken care of faster for you but just hook me up on the back end you know hook me up on the back end with ten or twenty thousand dollars and it sounds innocent because it sounds like oh it's just someone helping me out you know whether you are <laughs> no or this example mm -hmm. hey we'll go ahead and get your approval going through a couple weeks earlier but slide across your desk oh i've got a couple of these companies for contracting work mm -hmm. and this one right here you should take a look at and then lo and behold it's like you know his cousin yeah, brother-in-law something along some those, type of vested interest <laughs> like i'm not telling you but you know they kind of like oh slid on top of the pile right there yeah and you know disclosure those are real world things that have happened mm -hmm. that still happen and it still happens and you have to be straight on those because the moment you as an investor any type of development get any type of reputation for doing anything like that it has a major trickle-down effect mm -hmm. in all aspects. Construction companies start thinking that they can do unethical things, inspectors, etc., etc. Right. And there's real-world implications to that. Mm -hmm. What was it, this past year? I think it was in like February or March. Where they had those buildings collapse down in, in Miami. Miami, down in Miami. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether that was an inspection or somebody not doing their job correctly, putting off things... There is some ethical issues that had happened at some point right. that caused that to happen in the loss of so many lives. And I don't even think they know to this day how many people... Yeah, they're probably still like going through the, the rubbish. A, well, yeah, and there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. You know, they like, was the person there? You know, they can't find them. Yeah. It's so, sad. It's sad, and, you know, there's a lot riding on your shoulders when you own and operate you know larger buildings like that or just any space in yeah. general you know you don't want to be the slumlord who ignores a tenant's complaint about mold building up right and you know she might be a single mother but you're responsible for potentially causing mm -hmm. irreversible damage to somebody else's child and that's the biggest thing is the responsibility and i and i definitely tap on that many many times throughout the book because I wanted people to know and have that in their mindset before they got to the portions of like, okay, this is how you can 100% finance your first multifamily property. Because at that point, people hear that and it sounds easy, it sounds doable, and it sounds like, oh yeah, this is just going to happen, you know, boom, boom, bam, this is just going to happen. I can just read these few steps and exactly. make this happen. But there's a lot of responsibility and it needs to be like that weight on your shoulder of like, okay, dang, I really do have to sit down and actually learn how to conduct a, pro a proper market analysis or conduct mm -hmm. a proper vetting of my property management company because this actually has an impact on my tenants, on my generated income and everything. So, okay, it's not as simple as 100% finance. Yeah, and that brings in actually to what I was actually wanted to bring up because some people get the impression of, oh, I read one book mm -hmm. 
and I can just go out and do everything. So let's go over what does this book tell you and what does this book not tell you? This book definitely tells you the ways that you can 100% finance your first multifamily property. Mm -hmm. It does not tell you how to change your mindset, how to gain that confidence, gain that. It's not a self-help book. <laughs> yeah. That's what, it, that's what it's not. So I think a lot of books it's not today, a big, It's not a giant motivational. Motivation. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing motivational in here. It's pretty... Well, big. I would disagree. I, I would think some of the... Like you talked about in chapter two, you know. Well, we're talking about God and the and, yeah, and, that, and the Bible. that's motivational. Oh yeah, for sure. That's that's definitely motivational. But I think overall, the premise is not just to. I don't want you're not going to close the book and be like, oh, I'm so hyped. I mean, you can, you should be, but I also want you to have the idea of just like, okay, wow, that gave me so much to think about. I need to kind of reframe my mind, and I don't feel the warm and fuzzies that get rich quick schemes give me. I have to really think about the depth of, hmm, as a multifamily property owner, I have to know about this, 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 and this. I have to think about, you know, X, Y, and Z. So mm. be excited, be happy, be motivated, but I also wanted people to take away. That was a lot of information. Hey, do I need to learn more? Did this open the door this, into something that I had no clue about? So now, instead of feeling like, oh, I can just jump into this, I realize I might need to research a little bit more. So it's a book that's definitely going to challenge the reader. Right. Challenge their concepts and thought processes. Mm -hmm. And what I would even say, too, about this book, having read it myself, is that it is not a giant 90, 95% motivational fluff book mm -hmm. that's going to give you 1% or less of actual real information in there. It is going to leave you wanting to ask more questions, but however, I would call this not a book that just leaves you hanging, but it's definitely something that gets you pointed in the right direction. Right. Because if it was a book to give you step-by-step -step how to do everything, listen, it would be longer, it'd be 10 times longer than the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> because that would just be massive on scale the size of the book that you would need to really articulate everything right and then the other thing is too you need to be knowledgeable and versed in some of the the rules the regulations things that are going to affect you because these things change every single day they change every single day and it's different from state to state region to region county to county mm -hmm. so you can't even there's so much nuance in real estate that you can't even you can't pinpoint all the nuance Mm -hmm. And so that's the thing that we like too about real estate is when people ask, oh, you know, you guys are in real estate, they automatically jump to your realtors. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, no, there's, there's real estate is a giant living ecosystem in itself. And there's just so many careers and pathways that come out of that right. and its opportunities. So you might read this book and think, Buying multifamily properties is actually really difficult and something that I might not want. But I learned something new. I challenged myself. Oh, and I learned about creative financing tips. And maybe I'm not the person who buys the properties, but maybe I'm the person who structures the deals. Mm -hmm. And I'm the person who lines people up for something like that. So there's a benefit from the information that's in Or you in here. might just like being the silent investor. Maybe you have the capital and you don't necessarily want to do the work because it is work. You know, you have to adopt this as your mm -hmm. career. So maybe you go, hmm, I wanted to get into multifamily, 
but I don't want to be worrying about managing it day-to-day operations. And yeah. so I would like to, I'm glad I know this information, but I think I actually want to position myself as a equity partner or a silent investor. Yeah. And, and you said something, but I just want to make sure for the audience listening, making it a career, right? Mm-hmm. I think, and this is my personal belief from the information that we have here and, and things that we were going over and course and zooms, you know, meetings and things that anybody could get into it if they put the right amount of effort into it, like the mental effort. Mm -hmm. But like what we do on our scale and how we scale everything up is definitely full-time career business. Somebody getting into it saying, hey, I just want to get one or two properties. For sure you could. However, it's very important that you stay knowledgeable because like you said, Mm -hmm. you want to be able to know how to manage the property management correctly stay on top of updates and regulations. Once you build that foundation, and then that's definitely what I feel like this book gives, it's just as simple as learning something new. Right. Like, you know, you bought a car 20 years ago. You, you know how to drive a car from 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You still know how to drive a vehicle today. There just might be... Slight variations. Oh, well, before my navigation was a map, now I have this built-in GPS mm-hmm. thing and, oh, I can voice the command to everything. Mm-hmm. So you take somebody from back then and put them in a newer vehicle today, they would still know how to, I can turn the key or press the button, <laughs> I can put it in drive, I can put it in park, I can press the gas, I can press the brake when necessary. Well, that depends because I didn't know how to put, I didn't know how to work the BMW. Well... But we're saying, you know, somebody from, you know, 20 years ago who knows how to drive, who could figure out, hey, I can get into a modern vehicle. I couldn't imagine putting my grandma in our SUV and being like, drive. She she would not know know what to do. Different, but the point point still, yeah, the point still remains the same. Yeah, for sure. So I definitely like, I think for me, just because of how important those two chapters were Mm -hmm. chapter five and chapter eight are super critical to just about everything that you're going to do because that's just going to keep you like once you figure out the other ones i mean they're all amazing chapters they're all really really important when we start getting into chapter nine and chapter ten those are going to be the real heavy meat Meat potatoes yes yes and there's there's quite a bit to dig into there you know do you want to you want to go over those real quick the audience yeah so yeah in chapter nine i just kind of go over analyzing market data and that's pretty much what entails conducting a market analysis and you know obviously like we deal with this michael deals with more of the on ground like market analysis type stuff i deal with more of the financial side he deals with more of the on ground so i go over how to figure out the numbers what to look for as far as demographic trends and things like that. Is this an up and coming area? You can tell those things by how many people are moving into this area. How many people are, what are the jobs available in this area? What is the household median income for this area? Is it increasing year by year or every 10 years? That's generally what people base it off the last 10 years. And it's just like, that's those are the things that you need to know because you wanna know that you're investing in an area that is growing and that has potential and growth means 
and appreciation and value of your property. So not only are you making cash flow from it, but your value is going up every single year. Um, you know, every every single year, every five years, every 10 years. And that's money that you can obviously take advantage of through cash out refis, pulling out the equity of your property and investing into something else and growing your portfolio even more. So those are things that I talk about. And I also touch on the importance of in-person viewings of the properties. And I think my husband kind of he, he, he's kind of the guy for that as far as like in-person things because he can be able to, you'll be able to see like, oh, are there issues with foundation? Are there issues with the roof? Why is this being sold for so low? Or why is this being sold for so high when problem right here? Like I definitely go why into are they well. sell Why are they selling in the first place? You know, if the market is so great, mm -hmm. why aren't they going in for like a rehab if it's an older place right. to reinvest in those things? So those are the questions you kind of have to ask. There's a lot of additional nuance that goes into it. I could just take a whole two-day seminar mm -hmm. on just, you know, properly checking out an area. Because it's not just, hey, I'm going to look at the building. It's I'm going to go a day, two days in advance to a site and drive the metro area see what's the immediate five, 10 mile radius like, you know, are there a lot of boarded up businesses? Mm -hmm. Do the houses in the area look cute? Like something that like, hey, my wife would like to live there. Or you could picture somebody renting out these homes in these areas around because if the areas around don't look good and if you're, you know, depending on the scale of property that you're going for, mm -hmm. we have different classes, A, B and C class neighborhoods, it makes a huge decision on your on your purchase. Right. Uh, what's going on in this area? What's the you know the construction like? You know what's this area look like at nighttime during the week as opposed to middle of the afternoon on a Saturday or Sunday when all these brokers like to show you properties, which is not a clear <laughs> it's not a clear picture picture of what the, at all. What the property is actually like. You need to know what this property looks like during the middle of the week. Mm -hmm. What does the parking lot look like? Are there tenants fighting over trying to get spaces? Mm -hmm. They're saying, oh, this is a A-class high-end property. And you look at the parking lot and there's nothing but hoopties in the parking lot. <laughs> it's not A-class high-end tenants. <laughs> then, yes, it kind of like, hmm, wait a minute. And it also it makes sense, too, if you're looking for affordable housing or any type of um, Section 8 projects or anything else. Well, does it make sense? Is this property way, way, way out in the sticks and there's no availability of public transportation, grocery stores or anything else for potential tenants too? Because right. you know, most of the time these people aren't going to have the availability of a vehicle mm -hmm. and they're going to rely on some sort of public transportation and access to those things. And does it make sense for somebody utilizing those you know, vouchers to select your apartment building? Mm-hmm. Like, well, this thing isn't near anything. Right. No, yep, those are things that are definitely important. And that's why also, too, one thing that I touched on as well is the, the homelessness epidemic. And definitely going and seeing places on ground because you can't tell things like that. And that is very severe <laughs> and uh, I think from the, pictures. Yeah, and, it, and it's, yeah, Google, Google Maps isn't necessarily going to show you. You know, it's nice you can see a little car driving down the street and you can pan around mm -hmm. but google maps isn't going to see the building that you're looking at acquiring 
and then you know 20 minutes or not even 20 minutes um like two blocks over there's a giant homeless encampment mm -hmm. you know and the tenants around in other buildings are actually nervous about these things you need to check these things right because just like with a regular home you're not gonna want to buy a house with that around because the idea when people have is when people do buy a house and they are say thinking of it as an investment which we all know is not but say they are they're looking at the homeless people saying hey that's going to affect my property value and well, you have to yeah. think about the same thing as well with your multifamily. If you're trying to be on that higher, the higher um, inside of a B-class property, these people are not going to want to stay in your properties if there's homelessness that they have to, even if they, even if it's not right on their street, say they have to drive through it, still interrupts their quality of life. Well, it's like if you're doing a lot of student housing and you know you're going to have young, teenage, college-age women that are probably going to want to go jogging, walking late night from, you know, school, a friend's place, restaurant. a restaurant, a club, whatever. They're not going to feel comfortable having to walk past a giant homeless encampment mm -hmm. to get to their building. So these are things to think about when how you're structuring a deal um, and analyzing the market. Right. Someone's at, saying, hey, this is... You're going to have 340 beds for a dormitory for college students and there's massive homeless problems in that area and crime. The students are going to realize that and do their own research and they're going to talk to people locally and go, oh, I don't want to be in that place. Yeah, That's, that's sketchy. And you want to improve the quality of life for your tenants. Right. That's return customers. Mm -hmm. That's more recommendations from them saying, hey... I stayed at such and such apartment building and it was amazing. You should go here too. Right. Then your lists for upcoming next year of students coming in is always long. Yep. You don't have to worry about having occupancy rate issues. Exactly. So that go over that in chapter nine, you know, it, all about conducting a market analysis. And then in chapter 10, I get into financing the deals and that kind of just go over private industry funds what are hard money loans private money loans I and mean, of course i go over hud and some of the popular programs in hud that allow people and new investors and seasoned investors to invest and buy their first multifamily property 100 percent financed and so it's definitely a book that you will read this book and feel like you went away with a lot of great information great information it's not just about where you can learn how to understand finance we know that that's great we know that that's good but you want to be well-rounded and i feel like the understanding the ethics the economics personal accountability things like that that actually gets you to the end feeling like okay wow I can probably look at myself from a different perspective as well you know am i confident enough to really go after this maybe i need to work on that maybe i'm not so good with social networking um and that's a big part of real estate so these are all things that you can leave thinking about and going wow i have this to work on i have this to work on i have this to work on and i'm actually i can actually see progression based off of those things that i've made mental checklists for so we're going to wrap this up it was so great hanging out with you guys. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Think Bigger Grow Wealthy podcast. If you want to know where to find my book, 
Fundamentals of Finance, and you can find it on Amazon. It's available as an ebook as well as a physical paperback copy as well. See you next time. Bye.